0: If tomorrow was your last day, would you feel as though you have maximized your potential? How would you describe your perfect day with no limitations? How can you work towards achieving something as close to this, if not exactly that? And what is your dream life? Where is it? Who's there with you? And what does your Saturday look like versus a Monday? These are some of my favorite questions from the What Fulfills You card game and I created this card game with the intention to help you on your journey of personal growth as actually all of these questions in this card game are questions that helped me in my own personal growth journey in my 20s. But even more than that, these questions help cultivate more purposeful and meaningful conversations, whether it's with your colleagues, your close friends, or a date night. I love to play this on a night in with a few glasses of wine. Or, now that it is spring and summer season, I think it's just so fun to bring this with you when you're hanging out at the park, especially for my fellow New Yorkers who like to hang out in Central Park, have a cheese board, and just have some deep conversations. You can shop the card game online at whatfulfillsyou.com and since you are a listener of the show, you can get 10% off your purchase with the code whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout. That's whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout at whatfulfillsyou.com. Enjoy! everyone, welcome back to the What Fulfills You podcast, or as always, welcome if you are brand new to the show and this is your first time tuning in. Today's episode is a unique one because it is my first time talking to a lawyer on this podcast and specifically a partner at a law firm here in New York City. And before any of you guys go, oh, I don't think I'm going to learn much from this episode or you feel like it just doesn't relate to your career or whatever you're seeking for in your life, I want to preface that when I was in my early 20s, especially, but even now, a big reason why I think the way I think today and the way I approach my life as I do is actually a huge part in getting information and insight from people who are top in their fields and have had a lot of success in specific areas of their life, and I have taken those little nuggets and have applied it into my own life. I am a huge advocate for continuous learning, and there's always something unique to learn from each person, especially when they have years and years on you, right? And so I heavily encourage, for those of you who are uncertain, right here in this moment, if you really want to listen to this full episode, I highly encourage you to do so because we dive into all different facets of life. I really tried to tailor this conversation to someone in their 20s that could use some advice on career building, Preparing yourself for after law school, if that is the current position you're in, training for marathons, having the right mindset in your career and as you progress as a young professional. And honestly, this comes at a really good time as well for those of you who are just graduating right now or you're graduating in the next year or so, because like he mentions in this episode, he wishes He had this information while he was in school and he probably could have approached certain parts of his life a little bit differently. That's why, again, I encourage everyone to listen to people who have a lot of experience in areas that you don't have yet. And again, you never know what you can learn from someone that you can really apply into your own life, whether that's a mindset or a certain skill set. But to give you a little background on the guest, Saul Finkelstein, he is a legal advisor with over 30 years of experience in corporate finance and governance, having worked with CEOs, board of directors, bankers, and founders of Fortune 500 companies, middle market companies, and startups. Having spent 20 years at the Paul Weiss law firm, Saul is now a partner at Elanoff, Grossman & Scholl in New York City, I want to preface, I do not know if I pronounced that correctly, but I went for it anyways. But in addition to that, he has completed over 25 marathons and is a lifelong runner and fitness enthusiast who has also worked with many fitness and wellness brands, both as a legal and business advisor. For those of you who are career focused right now and really want to learn from those who have done well in their own career and have made certain mistakes along the way and have advice for you guys in the current position you're in right now, highly advise to keep listening. So let's dive into it. Righty, Well, Saul, thank you so much for joining me today. I have not interviewed an official lawyer on the podcast before. So as you know, I told you, I once considered law school, right? almost went down that path, but I didn't. <laughs> so now <laughs> we're here. I'm talking to one now. But I would love if you could give some context about who you are, uh, thinking for the young 20 some year old uh, share your background as a corporate lawyer, where you went to school, your path leading up to where you are now.
1: Thank you, yes. Uh, thanks for having me first of all. Um, I graduated law school as the youngest member of my graduating class. I was 23 years old wow. at the time. Oh uh, wow, and never had a full-time job before, never had done anything other than been in school. So when I came out and started working at a medium-sized firm, where I was for two and a half years, Mm -hmm. it was a bit of a shock to Mm -hmm. understand what it is that they expect you to know and do Mm in any corporate environment, let alone a law firm. Mm -hmm. So I would say the first couple of years were just trying to understand what it is that you're supposed to do as a professional. Mm-hmm. I left that firm and I joined the Paul Weiss firm uh, after about two and a half years and stayed there for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked on a lot of really big things, the kind of things that you read about in the Wall Street Journal. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I th- I tended to gravitate towards, um, I wouldn't say smaller things, but mm-hmm. I was very client focused. I enjoyed. Okay working with what they call difficult clients, clients who Mm. were either very demanding or very idiosyncratic in what they wanted. (laughs) Uh, And I somehow found that to be interesting. So um, I kind of developed a cadre of clients that stayed with me for some of them I still have today, going back now over 30 years. Oh, wow. Um, And so I was sort of a client specialist in the corporate field. So while I was doing all those kind of corporate things of public offerings and mm-hmm. loans and equity investments and uh, corporate formation, all of that, uh, I had um, about 10 or so clients that basically just worked with me mm-hmm. uh, to the exclusion of anybody else in the firm, oh, okay. uh, which then brought on a, an idea in my own mind of like, why do I need to be at this 600 lawyer firm <laughs> when I could be doing this by myself right. like, without any... You know, infrastructure that goes along with being at a super big firm. So, um, I decided in the mid aughts, I guess they call it, uh, to leave uh, Paul Weiss, and they were almost universally uh, accepting of the fact that I was leaving and mm-hmm. bringing clients with me, mm-hmm. uh, and actually facilitated it mm-hmm. in, in most cases because for them it was, um, you know, tiny compared to their their client a, base. Right. Yeah, okay. So they basically helped me transition them, Hmm. Um, and I went to a boutique little firm that a friend of mine had started, and we had talked from time to time about me joining him. It was uh, about 11 lawyers that time, Okay, so that's where I went. I went from a 650 lawyer firm uh, with my own assistant and um, so much infrastructure uh, and support to a little tiny firm on um, Lexington Avenue and 43rd Street <laughs> okay. uh, that lasted a couple of years and then we merged into the firm I'm in now so we oh went. so okay. all 11 of us went into a firm which was about 70 lawyers now it's about 150 lawyers today. right and I continue uh, servicing mostly my own clients um, not not all the same ones from you know 1985 right but, um, some are the same mm-hmm. um, but also a lot of uh, people who are starting businesses, Mm -hmm. uh, people who recently started businesses, people who are thinking about starting businesses, uh, as well as financial institutions. So Mm -hmm. there's sort of two aspects to what I do. There's like very established financial institution, banks and things like that, and then Mm -hmm. people who are starting businesses, and they tend to be in the wellness and fitness space. Uh, I'm not quite sure why they gravitate towards me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess one thing leads to the other. Um, I know some of the people you get involved in one fitness business and mm-hmm. there are people, you know, a huge network of people and then they start their own things and they come to you. And, right. And so it's like a, you know, a, gro- a growth, like a spider web that just keeps yeah. growing out. <laughs> and before you know it, um, you're the guy that they come to with, uh, we, w- I want to start a wellness business of some kind, whether it's nutritional right. or fitness or skincare, right. Uh, or some kind of emotional support. Um, but, uh, they all seem to. I, I, interesting example was a, a lawyer, a, not a lawyer, but an executive at an existing company that mm-hmm. started about six or seven years ago. Said he was asked by a colleague at another company if uh, that he knows of I an mean, emotionally intelligent, highly skilled corporate lawyer. <laughs> and I said that's almost an oxymoron. There aren't really too many uh, emotionally intelligent highly skilled corporate lawyers. There are a lot of great people, a lot of mm-hmm. highly skilled people, but they don't teach emotional intelligence in law school or law firms. Right. Uh, and so he referred this to me, and it was a very good match because it's this company is starting in the field of finding um, a way to use a software program to help mm-hmm. people uh, build teams in, mm-hmm. uh, in a corporate environment. And uh, if I was not Buying into their product, mm-hmm. and it, w- it would be very difficult to uh, to work with them. So, right, uh, that's about thirty years in about thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but th- those are the highlights. Sort of uh, finding my own um, niche in, mm-hmm. in a very big environment, which right. was really uh, working with challenging clients, uh-huh. uh, and then finding a way to do that on my own outside of. Uh, the super large law firm structure.
0: Right. Okay, I have... So, Paul Weiss. Right. I've heard is one of the top corporate law firms. Is that right?
1: I think it is. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> In fact, I, I actually, um, my friend who's graduating from Georgetown, I'm pretty certain she's graduating mm-hmm. top five or top 10% of her class. She's an extremely brilliant young woman. Um, and when I had asked her, uh, I went to her when I before I interviewed you, I was like, so I'm, I'm interviewing a lawyer. Um, first off, tell me about these firms. And, and she told me, oh, Paul Weiss is very elite. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, you know. But, but what is that environment like? Can you share? Because especially for me, as you know, I was always curious. Yeah. And, and I think if I had multiple lives, I would have gone that route. Absolutely. And and I'm, you might have heard the show Suits. Yes. You know, yes. I, I, of course, I know real lawyers is not necessarily like that. But in, in essence, you know, when I watched that, uh, you know, after, my, after I had already decided I wasn't going to go, I'm like, oh, I wonder what it would be really like. So I, I would love to hear from you a little just on especially working at Paul Weiss and, and many years ago when you didn't have this kind of flexibility with media and social media that we have today back then, I would argue that... That was a prime time to be at top firms and and, and, and aspects like that. So can you share a little bit?
1: Sure. And I would just add before I get into that is that we didn't have anything remote. So somebody needed to reach you. They had to call your home number. Oh. If you you (laughs) needed to do work, you needed to be in the office. Right. Uh, So that was, it's a huge change from now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But um, to answer your question, uh, it's filled with really incredible lawyers, Mm -hmm. Um, the most Uh, I would call intellectually rigorous with tremendous intellectual stamina, meaning, and by that I mean, (laughs) yeah, by that I mean that (laughs) I, I always, I use this as an example. It's not typical, but it did happen, Mm -hmm. which was at noon on a Tuesday, I was asked to go into a meeting. Mm -hmm. I stayed in that meeting until 8 p.m. on Thursday without leaving once.
0: Wait, wait, when did the meeting start? Tuesday at noon. Oh.
1: And I left at Thursday at 8 p.m.
0: You didn't sleep?
1: No. Didn't sleep. Didn't, I, wasn't the, I was with the CEO of a very well-known financial firm and his general counsel, and he told us that we were not allowed to leave until the deal we were negotiating was done.
0: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is why I didn't all yeah. this.
1: <laughs> this. Yeah, as I said, this happened. It's not typical, but mm-hmm. it happened. Um, and the thing that uh, struck me is that after the, so many hours, the intellectual stamina to keep looking for negotiating advantages, mm. keep looking for the vulnerabilities, and keeping at it with the same fervor that yeah. you did when you started, you know, 36, 40 hours ago. Yeah. Um, was It's just an incredible thing to see. I, I think I have pretty good intellectual stamina, but um, – there are people there that must be Olympic level uh, stamina with intellectually. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's something that uh, has always stuck with me of um, just because you're tired doesn't mean you can stop thinking, mm. uh, which is not always easy to do. Sometimes it's easier to keep moving when you're tired than yeah. to keep thinking. Um, but it's a, it's a very demanding place. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people are all like your friend, top yeah. law schools yeah. and the top people from the top law schools yeah. and people with very high career aspirations mm-hmm. uh, I remember one time a partner said to me never send a document to a client that you know has any mistake whatsoever whether it's the smallest typo or comma missing because mm-hmm. there's probably 10 things in there that you're not aware of mm-hmm. so if one goes out then that's you know you're still going to have 10 that you don't know about so right. this idea that it's never quite good enough you always have to keep pushing the intellectual envelope. Mm. You always have to f- be using more creativity in, mm. in your legal skills uh, Was something that uh, was taught and was not easy lesson to absorb. Right. Um, because I had never experienced that even in law school or mm. any other context. So it it took several years to understand how that works um, and also how to balance that environment with the rest of my life. Mm. Uh,
0: do you think law school actually prepares you to work in an environment like that? And I would like to see as well. You had mentioned that uh, you're, when, when someone was inquiring about a, a corporate lawyer with a lot of emotional intelligence and a high EQ, you said that, the, you know, that's not very common. Um, what would you say looking back that is missing in that curriculum of law school or, or what actually realistically prepares lawyers for the real world compared to what they learn in law school and even taking the L side. I mean, I remember I was preparing for the L side. Right. I've heard you know, rumors that it like everything you, you do in law school or everything that tests is for, it, it just is really out the door. So, and again, but I wouldn't know, though, because I never read right. the path. so, <laughs> Well, yeah.
1: uh, let me assure you that that's true.
0: Oh, okay, uh, okay.
1: That really law school teaches you how to think mm-hmm. and how to analyze things as yeah. a lawyer, which you couldn't do. You couldn't practice law without knowing that. So right. it's not a waste of time right. by any stretch of the imagination. But it doesn't prepare you for the business world. And by that, I mean that uh, I did really well in law school, mm-hmm. but I didn't know anything about how corporations raise money or you know what the process is really like. like when your company goes public, Like, what does that actually involve as mm-hmm. opposed to what it says in the books? Mm-hmm. Um, and what are the business objectives? And... Um, how do you align the legal objectives and the business objectives, and how do you balance them when they're in conflict? Mm-hmm. Those are things that um, law schools don't teach you because they're not necessarily preparing you for a career. They're preparing you to be a lawyer, and then you get to choose mm-hmm. the kind of career. Like, what if you want to become a public defender? Right, that's a very different skill set than working in a corporate law firm.
0: I see. Um,
1: so, I, I think if people are interested in doing the kind of work that I do, I, I would advise them to work in a corporate environment before they go to law school, so they have a better business sense uh, about things. It took me... I remember I was probably practicing law close to 10 years, and one of the partners said to me, you're developing a good business sense. And and at the time, I was like, I didn't realize that that was something I needed to develop. Mm. Um, But... uh, You're dealing with people, your clients are business people for the most part. Sometimes you're dealing with general counsels and lawyers in-house, but uh, ultimately you're dealing with a business person who has a business objective. Mm -hmm. And the more you could understand that and the conflicts and the objectives that are involved, the better lawyer you could be. So at this Mm -hmm. stage, um, I find that unless I'm involved in the business, I can't really advise the client on what they're doing because I need to understand what the objective is and not just write a contract in Mm. the abstract. Like, here are our business points. Well, why are you agreeing to this? Why did you, uh, why didn't you do it this way? Why did you do it that way? Mm -hmm. Um, And so to be kind of the business advisor Mm -hmm. to the client, um, that is, I think, the ultimate goal of a good lawyer in the corporate world.
0: Mm. So speaking of business and corporate exposure and experience, not just for lawyers, but I think professionals in general, what would you say is a common missing element in young professionals that maybe because they're not taught in school or they're not advised by, you know, peers and colleagues to, again, like you said right there, before law school, if you want to go into corporate law, you would advise to get some corporate experience. So you're around that environment. What about young professionals in general? What are some key skill sets or exposures you would, you, you would say they should have or try to have? You guys, I've been drinking Magic Mind for months now and I have to say, it's freaking gold. I mean, it literally tastes so good that I sometimes drink it twice a day, which, by the way, nothing wrong with doing so, but they do recommend only one a day. So that goes to show how much I do really love this stuff, and I did drink one before starting my workday today. So why I love Magic Mind so much is because it actually makes me feel really calm and focused and it's also that perfect push that gets me into my flow state, which is what it's meant to do. And I'll share a few key facts and ingredients in this product. So it is known to increase and improve productivity. It has very little caffeine and it only comes from matcha tea. It's a great alternative for coffee if you drink coffee for energy and focus. I personally don't. I like to drink Magic Mine with my coffee or just after because the morning coffee and just making coffee, like I just don't wanna give that up. It also helps fight off fatigue and brain fog as well as some ADD symptoms. And the best part, it is all natural ingredients including adaptogens, matcha, and nootropics. If you've been thinking about it for a while, I highly recommend you give this a try. It comes in a box of 15 and it's definitely the perfect amount for the month. And even better, you can enjoy 20% off your purchase with the code FULFILL at magicmind.co slash fulfill during checkout. That's FULFILL, F-U-L-F-I-L-L. At magicmind.co/slash/fulfill. Enjoy.
1: This is a very really good question. One of the things that I talk to people in that age group, uh, who I work with, is that whatever your job is, look at it as that you own this part of the business. Mm-hmm. Whether you are in the mailroom mm-hmm. uh, or you're uh, the head of your division that this is not, I'm not working for somebody, this is my business, and I have to find a way to grow it. And Mm -hmm. that means that you look at all opportunities as potential. Mm -hmm. So if if you have, you meet somebody who says, oh, I have an idea that maybe we can work together, Mm -hmm. instead of saying, well, my boss is not going to care about that, because that's not what the job that I'm really given. But Mm -hmm. you want to make these connections, and you want to pursue these little flickers to see mm-hmm. whether there's a flame there. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of time people are, and rightly so, overwhelmed with the tasks. I right. have my to-do list and yeah. I have my emails to answer and mm-hmm. I have you know, reports to give my boss. But uh, if you start thinking about it, and it takes time. It's mm-hmm. not something you could do in the first day. But yeah. after you feel comfortable with sort of the basics of what your job requirements are, if mm-hmm. you start thinking of it as I own this and this is my business mm-hmm. uh, and I'm going to run it like I owned it, mm-hmm. um, Obviously, you don't own it. You can't spend any money that you want. But in terms of the approach, in Mm -hmm. terms of your mindset, Mm -hmm. your mindset is one of ownership Mm -hmm. and and one of looking for any kind of opportunities that could bring this forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that the people who do own the business and Mm -hmm. the people who do run it will eventually see that as a huge, huge asset um, because they know that you are not just checking the boxes. Right. Uh, They could hire Lots of box checkers, right? But to find somebody who could find those opportunities and turn mm-hmm. them into into business uh, opportunities mm-hmm. is is really valued, I think today.
0: Could yeah. you emphasize on that? Because I, d- uh, uh, any additional thoughts? Because I do think my generation in particular, because we're known to job hop, mm-hmm. and I I kind of find as well that there might be this mindset of. Well, I don't own the business, someone else owns it and I'm just working for them. So so they kind of not necessarily do the minimal work, but they're they're showing up and hoping, you know, once they kind of get burnt out at this position or at this company, they look for the next thing. Right. Why is that mentality actually hurting them long term? Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I do. Uh, I think that mentality is going to keep you in the revolving door of going from one job to the next. And if that's mm-hmm. how you want to have your career, then I guess that's okay. But mm-hmm. if you want to actually get fulfillment from your career mm-hmm. and find satisfaction from your career, and I think the ultimate is that when you're the life that you choose mm-hmm. in your personal life and the life that you live in your career start melding, yeah. so that they're sort of one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. N- not that they interfere with each other, but right. they work in tangent with each other, mm-hmm. so that um, whatever you whatever you really uh, value in your personal life, you could you could add, have that in your career life, and mm-hmm. vice versa. Mm-hmm. So I think you're missing a huge element of the satisfaction that comes with a career. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, again, if, you're, if your objective is to make enough money to pay the rent and go on vacation <laughs> and all that, then this is probably not for you. But if your objective is to find uh, fulfillment and satisfaction, and then also that could also lead to writing your own ticket because
0: mm-hmm. it's muscle
1: memory, right? If right. you've been acting like you own a business in terms of the mindset, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, taking ownership and looking for these opportunities, mm-hmm. that's going to translate really well mm-hmm. if you do start your own business, as right. opposed to somebody who just does the bare minimum mm-hmm. so that they don't get criticized and fired. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really hard to transition from that into starting your own business where uh, you're competing with people who are you know, faster more lean, more, more experienced. And mm-hmm. so once you get out into that competitive world, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to want to have every advantage that yeah. you could have. And there's, and you could start building that even in your current job.
0: Right. Speaking of, you know, when people are looking to transition or level up in their career, what are some ways, and even I guess to coming out of college, what are some ways that young professionals can stand out from a, Pool of candidates, and I think this is very relatable for uh, you know law students going into you know firms, right? It's, it's very competitive, and again, I think that was always an appeal to me because I was always a competitive person. I was a figure skater, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, But I think that is a mindset that some lack due to maybe you know again, I had the athlete experience, so I have that in me, but maybe some don't have that exposure to okay, you have to compete, you have to be willing to. You know, sacrifice certain things, or, or at least in that chapter, in order to stand out or to do well in your career. What are some mistakes, or, or maybe even better things that young professionals are doing that do make them stand out compared to others that are competing for the same position?
1: Right. I think it it depends for each person. It's going to be different. Okay. But I think the bottom line is going to be the thing that you feel. And it takes a while to figure this out, but it's Mm -hmm. the thing that you feel separates you from everybody else. And maybe Mm -hmm. in your case, it's stamina. Maybe it's just intellectual stamina that you could work incredible amounts of hours and Mm -hmm. still still be on top of everything. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's your skill. Or maybe your skill is something more like me where you love to relate to clients and really get into the nitty-gritty of their businesses. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a particular part of the law that you could really master – Maybe it's a different way of approaching uh, a problem that makes it unique. I remember when I was at Paul Weiss, um, a client had a a problem um, that was sort of endemic in their industry. Mm-hmm. And working with somebody from on the client side, we sort of came up with a solution, mm-hmm. uh, which we kind of nicknamed after ourselves and, <laughs> and said, you know, here's a way to solve that problem. And you know, nobody asked me to do that. I wasn't necessarily even billing my time for it. Mm-hmm. But Um, You know, you're looking for these opportunities where you could um, separate yourself from the pack by exploiting that talent Mm -hmm. that you know that you have and whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's creativity, Mm -hmm. if it's writing, you know, if if you're a really good writer, you know, find opportunities to show people that skill. Uh, If you're a really good speaker, try to find speaking opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think most people – go in with a, me- a certain degree of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, that they don't know what to expect. They don't know how they're going to be perceived. Right. They've always gotten A's and everything. And yeah. you know, this is the first time they're actually in uh, competition in a way with mm-hmm. other, everyone else who's like them. Mm-hmm. They've all gotten AVE and, mm-hmm. and they've all gone to Ivy League schools <laughs> and they don't know how they're going to fare. Um, yeah. And so a lot of people just put their heads down keep doing what they were doing before, which mm-hmm. is basically just working as hard as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we all have to start that way. No one's going to walk in on day one and march around like they, <laughs> they know everything. But uh, after you get your you know, feet settled and kind of understand the lay of the land, Start looking for those opportunities to uh, really take advantage of that. Everyone has a special skill and mm-hmm. really taking advantage of uh, showcasing that.
0: Mm-hmm. What about on a resume? I see that a lot of people, to my surprise, actually struggle with understanding how to stand out on a resume or just the fundamentals of, you know, the color coordination or just how to organize it. And to my, I remember one time, um, you know, I I have interns uh, to do like the social media aspect of my brands and um, to my surprise, like I, I ended up advising her, you know, she had like a two page resume and and I was like, well, you know, and, and other people had very, I would say somewhat disorganized resumes uh, for junior senior college students and I was very surprised by that Um, and and maybe because uh, I was fortunate enough to have a father who was in the corporate world Mm -hmm. and would look at my resume but I that's kind of why I came out with an ebook, and I had shared all of this in in there but what are you seeing is like how does one stand out to you whether it's um, you know a potential lawyer or just a young professional in general what are some key attributes that resume should have, whether it's the way it's organized, uh, you know, specific, should they be naming their skill uh, specific experiences they should include or not include, or even GPA, like stuff like that. Does that matter?
1: I'm certainly not an expert in resume writing. Right. Uh, I've had, you know, in my, uh, 30 plus year career, I've changed jobs twice, Mm -hmm. uh, or three times. So, um, but I do see resumes, right? Uh, and I think from the perspective of maybe an employer yes. looking at resumes, I think that people uh, tend to emphasize all the same things, which is their GPA, okay. uh, what mm-hmm. school they went to, mm-hmm. um, and what their past jobs were, okay. uh, without identifying really the achievements that they've had. Uh, and those achievements could be uh, seem small, but um, if you could say that... You organized a uh, inventory, the inventory of a store, in a way that allowed them to know better what it was that they were selling and how much inventory they had, mm-hmm. which it was the first time that was ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even those kind of small things, um, you know, under instead of saying you're proficient in Excel and all the other mm-hmm. standard things, mm-hmm. I, I think at this point everyone assumes that everyone is proficient in right. all, all the right. basic skill sets, <laughs> and I think to the extent that you could kind of highlight. Your achievements uh, mm-hmm. that would stand out—that—that um, that to me is more interesting. I, I recently got a r- resume. It's actually uh, a daughter of a cousin who's looking for a legal job in New York, and <laughs> it was all four President of this, volunteer for th- ninety three organizations, helping uh, you know urban kids with better prepare better for school. And it was everything that you would want, but uh-huh. and it's great, but. There's probably, you know, 200 resumes that look exactly like that.
0: Exactly. Uh, so
1: you have the highest achievements, um, but there's nothing really distinguishing in it. And it, she didn't really say anything about what she achieved at these places. It was sort of, look where I've been, as right. opposed to well, what have you done there? Right. Um, so, so
0: when you say achievements, you're indicating about what they've done to impact that company or that exactly. business or that organization, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Even if it's small. If that's Even still if important. it's small, mm-hmm. right.
1: Uh, I think to show the initiative uh-huh. that you went beyond yep. that's always to me the key did you, you know, checking the box again everyone checks the box mm-hmm. what did you do to go beyond the mm-hmm. box checking
0: what are general? tips you have for career building for those in their 20s and 30s today and especially today's environment, right? I I understand that, you know, my again, my generation, we are fortunate with the technology and the way things have advanced over the years. But I would say that there are still certain aspects of, of professional professionalism that that was applying years ago that still applies today. Um, But of course, you've seen the changes over the years longer than I have. Um, So do you have any advice for those in their 20s and 30s that they could be doing either at their current position or could be doing even outside of their job that could improve their ability to maybe even find fulfillment in their career?
1: Yeah, I think it's two things. Uh, One is that I think this generation in particular, and I think every generation to a certain extent, is really good at identifying problems Mm -hmm. in in their place of employment. Right. Uh, (laughs) You know, we we don't have enough diversity. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't have enough work-life balance. Uh, We're going to get into
0: that one. (laughs) Right. All all of
1: those things. Everyone is really good at identifying that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not that many of us are really good at finding, in proposing solutions. Mm -hmm. So I think that... Uh, in your workspace to the extent that you can not only be really good at identifying problems, but Mm -hmm. you can be really good at starting the process of finding solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that would benefit uh, your organization and you Mm -hmm. tremendously. Um, I think that uh, senior management at companies are all trying their best with all of these um, new issues (laughs) 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 Um, and they need help because it, it is new for a lot of them. And, Uh, To keep pointing out the faults, uh, we could all do that. That's easy. Right. But to start to have the dialogue of how do we find solutions and Mm -hmm. what can we do today to start that process, Mm -hmm. um, then you're you're viewed as somebody who's solution-oriented and cares about the organization and is not the mindset that you were referring to before of, not, I don't like it here, it's not right, like not I'm, I'm going to leave, not yeah. my problem. I'm going to leave and find something else. And <laughs> yeah. you know what, you have yeah. the same problem someplace else, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you haven't really solved anything. Right. Uh, I always say if you find problems in your workplace, some of them are not fixable perhaps and you mm-hmm. do need to leave, but mm-hmm. um, if you could take the mindset of maybe I could impact the problem and mm-hmm. make it better for me and everyone else that's here mm-hmm. while I'm here. Right. Um, I think that's number one. And number two is it's these Age-old adage of networking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really about who you meet yes. and who you yes. know, and that, that is an ongoing you know, process that should never stop. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not necessarily like a formal networking, like right. going to networking events, uh, which I guess have their place, but it's really through your work meeting people that mm-hmm. have the kind of jobs that you want, work yeah. for the kind of organizations that you want to work for. Mm-hmm. They could be younger, older, or the same. Right. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, but it's it's keeping these contacts alive mm-hmm. and um, and building that network of people that share your interests.
0: Mm-hmm. For people who want to continue to network with those that maybe someone it's someone at their current company and maybe someone's like, hey, you know, I aspire to be in that position two five years from now. What would you advise that young professional uh, in in terms of taking initiative because i i I get even questions for in my uh, messages and emails people ask me how do i do it how do i take initiative and in my opinion it's it's rather very simple right you 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 reach out you provide value as to why it's worth their time to give you know give you 15 30 minutes of of their time but What is, from your perspective, because I'm assuming perhaps other young ones have done this for you as well, especially in your position, Uh, what would you say is the best approach?
1: I think the most important thing to remember is that everybody loves talking about themselves. Right. So if you go to somebody (laughs) and say, I just want to know how you got here Mm -hmm. and and what is it that you do, um, just ask questions and it's not, I like the way you put it. Yeah. What is it that I could learn from you? Not, right. Let me tell you how great I am. or yeah. Let me tell you why I should have your job or yeah. why I should be promoted or why I should get a raise. It's let me hear what you do and just, and, like, and just ask a lot of questions and make that person feel like they're the most important person to you. Mm. Um, and I think they'll respond much more positively. <laughs> and they might even start asking questions about you right in, in the process of telling right. them about uh, telling you about themselves mm-hmm. uh, I don't I don't think there is uh, a way that you could fail if you keep it focused on the person and not mm-hmm. on, not on yourself
0: right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to shift gears a little bit back into corporate law and gain more insight into the path, Um, especially for those who are listening who might be interested in going to law school or maybe are in law school right now. And I I do know I have a few listeners that are currently either paralegals or in law school. And when, when I shared that I was interviewing a lawyer, they're like, oh, very excited to hear this episode. But can you share insight into a typical path after graduating law school and also five to 10 years later? So, you know, maybe it's, like, how someone starts out and the associate and becoming a partner, all of that.
1: I assume you're talking about in the corporate world, yes, not, yes. like, in, public defender right, world. Right, right. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that if you do well at your law school, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be a top, top law school, but mm-hmm. you should, whatever law school you go to, and do the best you can. Uh, I keep, it's. I hear this all the time, I'd rather have somebody from the top, of their class in a bottom school than somebody from the bottom of their class in a top school. Really? Yeah. Because okay. that means that they worked really hard uh-huh. to get where they are and they know what it takes to succeed Yeah. Um, as opposed to kind of the person who's at the bottom of their top tier school. Mm-hmm. They kind of glide through and they expect the school to carry the weight
0: Got it. Uh, mm-hmm. and not
1: them. Mm-hmm. So don't be discouraged by the fact that it's not necessarily a top 10 or 20 school. Mm-hmm. Um, And then go to a firm that gives you the most um, exposure to the most different kinds of things so you Mm -hmm. can figure out what it is that resonates with you. Mm.
2: Um,
1: I remember when I showed up for my first day at my first job at a law firm, they said to me, "Okay, we've been asking you all summer. Now you actually have to tell us which department you want to be in Mm. Uh, because everyone else has told us, but you haven't. And it's like, "Uh, corporate. And Mm. I said, "Okay, that's where you are. And here I am, you know, so many years later having uh, done that. So. Find a firm that gives you the most exposure to the most varied types of clients. Mm. Um, work as hard as you can. Become an expert in something. Okay. Um, and It may not necessarily flow from the work that you're given. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have to ask to be given the kind of work. You do something once, right. and then you don't see that again, but you really like it. Mm-hmm. You feel you could be really good at it. Try mm-hmm. to get more of that mm-hmm. so you could stand out in that, in that field. Because, again, this is all about... Separating yourself from everybody else. Right. I and mean, there are lots of ways to do that, but being really good at something mm-hmm. is the best way to do that. Mm. And then you have to reach the point. And it's usually about five years out of law school where am I going to try to become a partner at this firm? Okay. Am I going to go in house? Am I going to go to another firm? I see. Those, those are the the questions that you reach at at about year five. Okay. Um, and they lead you in very different paths. I mm-hmm. think the one piece of advice that I would give people who are at big firms now, who mm-hmm. are feeling overworked and really tired, <laughs> that don't think that going to an in-house job is going to be "quote unquote" easy.
0: It's okay. it, it may have
1: fewer hours in the way that you're working now. You, yeah. You're not going to be working at you know Saturday night at eleven o'clock or right. Sunday morning at you know three a.m. But it's it, it, you're working harder in a different way. Um, the, the pressures are are there, but they're mm. different. Mm. Uh, you're one of the challenges, and I haven't been, but I know from experience that one of the challenges of being a lawyer in-house is to what extent do the business people view you as a problem that they have to (laughs) overcome? Oh, we have to get it through the law department, and then we're good. Like, once we convince them, then we're good. Like, is that how they view the law department? Or it's like, I have a business problem. Maybe we should talk to the law department and see if they have a way of us doing this, because we just see roadblocks Mm -hmm. everywhere. Maybe they could find the path forward. So you want to be in a law department If you're doing that, that's viewed as the latter, as Mm. the uh, solution-oriented law department, and not the the roadblock law Mm -hmm. department. Uh, So if you if you go in house, you have that route, Uh, or you go to a lot of people go to smaller firms because there's more a little bit more control, Mm -hmm. uh, a little less bureaucracy. Yeah. Um. But those are all very very different uh, paths, and it's different strokes for different folks. It's really hard to say what's best for anybody, but it, I think that I have never really met anybody who will admit in, as a first or second year lawyer that I want to become a partner at this firm. Really? That's, that's my, people don't say that. Um, they may be thinking that. Okay. Uh, but it's sort of an audacious kind of claim because yeah, because if you look at the number of people become partners, it's really, really small. Is it? Yeah, oh. yeah.
2: Number, <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's,
1: you know, a firm like Paul Weiss, I don't know what the current number is, but if you look at the people who come in on right out of law school, mm-hmm. and then you look seven or eight years later, Yeah, it's a small fraction of the people because there's just a lot of attrition. People, you know, you have to work really, really hard. Um, what
0: qualifies an associate to become a – or actually, what what is it? Is there a step between? Is it a? No, it's basically
1: part- – yeah, it's both associate okay. to partner. I mean, <laughs> I could just speak like at a firm at Paul Weiss. Yeah. I mean, some firms – um, smaller firms typically look at your ability to bring in business. Okay. that's But in a really big firm, they have more business than they can handle. I always right. say big firms like Paul Weiss are operating at 128% capacity. They right. have way more work than they have people. Okay. That's sort of the business model. That's yeah. how they make a lot of money.
0: I see. Um, <laughs> and
1: so finding more business is not some. I mean, if you had – you know, a $20 million client, that certainly mm-hmm. would help. But that's not where you should be focusing your attention. Mm. Uh, you should be focusing your attention on servicing the firm's clients in the highest uh, way possible, meaning you're working on the most complex transactions. Uh-huh. You're, you're carrying the most responsibility. You, know, you, you only have one really difficult transaction. You have nine difficult transactions mm. going on at once, and you're supervising, you know, teams of 10 lawyers on each one uh, mm. There's a lot of as juggling a as a partner. Oh, there's, okay. There's a lot of juggling. <laughs> there's there's a lot of juggling, and you have to know how to allocate your time. Mm. Um, you know where, and basically, it's troubleshooting. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 junior partner or the senior associates will mm-hmm. be running the deal on the day to day basis, mm. and you come in where there there are problems, or you check in <laughs> uh, where you know to see that everything's on track. Interesting. Um, but they, they always say that when you go from associate to partner your life doesn't get easier. It actually gets harder. So it's like you graduate into a more difficult role as opposed to now I'm promoted, now I can take it easy. No, (laughs) that that is not the way it works.
0: That is so funny. It would explain why I once dated someone uh, during a process where he went from associate to partner in New York City here. And I remember he was slammed with work. And I was like, what's the difference? I mean... (laughs) But now I get it. <laughs> and
1: I noticed you put in the past tense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I would make a joke with my friends, too, uh, you know, that I, I once had like a thing for lawyers and it, maybe it's because in part because I almost went to law school. Right. Um, but uh, I, I always found you Your thing it, for
1: lawyers would have stopped had you gone for law school. I'm sure of that.
0: But Potentially. Yeah. Right. I, mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I can't imagine being a lawyer also dating a lawyer. Is that difficult? Would you, um, do you think that is? <laughs> I could
1: think of. Situations where lawyers, yeah, I know a lot of lawyers who met their spouses at working in the same firm.
0: Yeah. But I can't imagine two lawyers arguing. Yeah.
1: Usually one of them has to step back a little bit Right. Like, yeah it's right. hard to have two really hard charging lawyers right. in a relationship right yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. well it, yeah it, it's funny to me and, and I My I wife tri- is not
1: a lawyer. Okay. Right? <laughs> and, and has no desire to be. Yeah you
0: know? yeah I yeah no it's 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 uh, fascinating to me and I remember at the time I I didn't really know what being a part I, I knew the, the level of what a partner does, but I didn't really understand that that jump. <laughs>
1: and yeah. So. yeah. yeah. I, mean, I just want to emphasize that what I was talking about is really particular to like the top you know, 20 law firms where right. business generation is not valued. Right. And, uh, and he
0: was at a top 20 law firm. Right. But, but all <laughs> but you know if
1: somebody is listening to this, say, from you know Middle America and they're at a 10-person law firm right. and they want to be partner. Yeah, you better be damn sure that you could bring, bring in business. This, that, yeah. that, that's going to be how you're evaluated. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to underplay that.
0: Right. Um, okay, we talked a little bit about work-life balance earlier, and that's something that my generation, once again, says is a problem. Hmm. And I will say, I, similar to what you had mentioned, I personally believe, and my goal has always been to merge my work life and in, in my personal life in one because at the end of the day i am working most of my life and for that reason i should enjoy it um but i think that there's a there is a pleasant element to being able to meet people in your professional life that become your personal friends and they intertwine and um i i never really liked the idea of separating oh like my work life is monday through friday and then on the weekends like thank goodness i have this time right i think if you go through life looking forward to the weekend and, and just that time where you're off work, I think uh, you'll you'll burn out a lot quicker, mm-hmm. again, in my opinion. So I always actually aspired to merge them into one, and that work is life and life is work, and and at the end of the day, I get to enjoy all of it. But what are your thoughts and beliefs around this, especially as a lawyer that has worked uh, many, many hours? And I think yes. that was one thing that might have been unappealing to me is the hours that a that a lawyer works.
1: It is definitely unappealing, even from the inside experiencing right. <laughs> it. Um, I For me, um, I have I found that uh, I became friends with clients more than with other lawyers mm. in my firm. And I have we, heard that. Yeah, I, I, I have lots of theories about why that is. I think you talked about the show Suits yeah. uh, before and. One of the things that they always miss in dramatizations of law firms, whether it's movies or Mm -hmm. TV shows, is that it's really not as collaborative as they make (laughs) it out to be. People don't sit around in rooms and talk about the issues. It's it's actually very isolated. Like you get your thing and you go off and whether it's writing a brief and researching it um, or whether it's drafting a contract. I mean, Mm -hmm. most of that time is you're sitting there thinking about Mm. what's the best way to to put this into words or what's the best argument or what's the best uh, way to wow. draft a provision. Uh, so there's and, no
0: real life Mike Ross and Harvey Specter <laughs> <laughs> collaborating.
1: People will, people will review your work, yeah. but it's usually done in isolation. It's like You're, usually, I, you know, put this in my, <laughs> I want this in my inbox by 9am. And then they send back an email with it all, you know, changed and marked and everything else. And then you have to figure out how to revise it. But and you, and you could troubleshoot, like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I'm not sure what to do about this. And you go into the partner and, you, you know, brainstorm. But that's more the exception okay. than the rule. It, it's mostly you're sitting in isolation and thinking and researching mm-hmm. and drawing on resources mm. uh, to try to find the, the solution. So there, mm. that, I think that's the reason why... I didn't become friends because I didn't really have that much to do with them. Right. I had a lot more to do with clients because right. they would call you all the time. Right. Uh, and <laughs> um, and also, without disparaging any lawyers, I found the clients be more interesting. Right. Because uh, they're actually the actual ones out there, you know, building businesses, right. And starting businesses yep. and um, you know that kind of energy seemed. Uh, I've had, I was around lawyers enough where I didn't need right. to have any more of that. Right. But being around people who were on the other side of it, that to me was really appealing. And now, mm-hmm. actually, some of my best friends are people that I met as clients. Mm. Uh, and sometimes I forget that they're clients. So yeah. Like, oh, is this a client thing or is this yeah. a friend thing? No, right, right, right.
0: That actually got my wheels turning about something, a, a problem I hear uh, the, the young ones kind of proposing, or maybe even the older ones too, but this idea of mental health day where you, you, you take a day off and I could see this for investment bankers and lawyers. They might be the first one to be like, I need a day off right. for mental health sake. Um, but I also, again, as a former athlete, I, I think there's a line to be drawn where you actually need the day off or you need to kind of push through it and push through a tough day. Right. And again, I and I can't, I genuinely, I have not worked as, as many hours as a lawyer and, and a banker in, in one day. Right. But I can imagine I, you know, I, 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 it's very hard, right? And and so, what is, what are your thoughts on that? Because this is a great shift into your mindset and your mind and body tactics. Uh, as, as I know, you trained for New York City marathons, but I think it's a mental thing, right? Yes. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on that?
1: I, I have a couple of thoughts. The first one, which may be a little out of the box, is that I try to structure my life so that every day has a mental health break. Mm. To it Ooh, so okay. that it doesn't accumulate to the point of I need an entire day okay. to now take care of my mental health. And that's easier to do when you're more established in your career than it is when you're not. <laughs> um, but I think when we could talk about you know what I do um, you know in a few minutes. but so I think you know finding, the ability maybe it's not every day but mm-hmm. more frequently mm-hmm. than to the point where i can't take this anymore i need an entire day right so that would to me would be an ideal way to approach it, it mm-hmm. w- and ideal is not always available mm-hmm. um and so I, I actually never have taken a mental health day so okay. I, I don't know Well, i think it's
0: a newer concept as yeah, well right in a yeah. way where people are suggesting that it should be offered by corporate companies um and again, I'm, I'm a little like yes and no. I, I, I think it's, uh, I don't know. I. I-
2: I this think is out it, yeah. there,
0: but I, I kind of think sometimes we're getting a little soft. Again, I, I, I'm not quite where I, I think very differently than my generation, as you can probably tell by now. But I think there's there's certain lines to be drawn. Of, like sometimes you have to push through, even when you're tired, even when. But but there but there is like the you you know when it's overboard as well. Absolutely, and right?
1: my point again being you don't want to get to the point where you're. Overboard. It's sort of like with eating; like you don't it's, want to get to the point that you're so hungry that right. you eat everything in sight. Exactly. Right? Like you're not gonna sustain your weight that way if that's your goal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I think that with uh, mental health days that um, uh, I am sort of where you are, which is that there are times for it. And I would say the time for it is like if you just Did a huge project. Like you're working for two months on getting something out, and you finally finished it. I think that's a great time to take a break. Yes, but if you're like in the middle of it, yeah, and it's like this is getting really gnarly, and I I don't know if that's not really a good time because you're kind of leaving everybody in the lurch, right? right? And and And
0: I think it builds grit as well when you're able to push through. And again, you have the example of you didn't even sleep for two days. I mean, (laughs) Uh, there were were
1: people (laughs) didn't sleep for two weeks. Right. Uh, Right. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about marathon training, but it's, you know, there's every marathon that I've run, and I've run a lot of marathons, mm-hmm. there's some point where I look to the side and I say, you know what, my house is like a mile from here. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> <that stuff> was... <laughs> and no one would know if I just like ripped off my number, right? did a little left turn and like walked home and like, I wouldn't have to run <laughs> these last seven
0: I arduous
1: <laughs> miles yeah. and no one would ever know, right? Yeah. And it's the same thing like at work. It's like you could do that, but you'll feel Terrible. Yeah. You know, it's like, who are you really cheating when you say that you want to kind of, you know, work is too intense. I need a break and I'm mm-hmm. going to leave everybody in the lurch mm-hmm. uh, and my deadline's not going to be met. Uh, I suppose you could do that. And again, you don't want to reach the point where it's a crisis. Right. Crisis is a different thing. But yes. it's just like I'm really tired and I could use a break. I think mm-hmm. that you need to think about whether you could actually push through, right? Uh, and you'll feel much better for having pushed through. Is mm-hmm. My experience. I, yeah.
0: I agree with that. You mentioned you had you again you, where you're at in your career now. You're able to take some sort of mental health break in each day. Can you share what maybe that process is like, or maybe even just tips in general? Again, depending on where everyone's at in their career, right. but what are some helpful things that you've noticed for yourself that have that have been impactful
1: well since the pandemic yeah that, that has changed a lot of things so I've basically been working remote uh, even though my office has been open and I go in occasionally
0: Oh, um, so you're still remote mostly right mostly oh, okay. yeah
1: um, I, I find that when I go in where my firm is sort of on a staggered schedule when yeah. I go in I can't find anybody it's like it seems like it's half empty because okay. it is oh, wow. so it's like why am I going in if it's half empty I mm. can, so if you are working remotely, Mm -hmm. you have infinitely more opportunities to Mm -hmm. find, you know, to find those moments for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, unless you're on back-to-back calls all day, Mm -hmm. um, there's going to be moments where you can, if you're working remotely, where you could just go in the other room and do yoga for 20 minutes, you know, whatever it is that you do. Uh, And that's so much easier than, you know, I spent all these years at law firms and I try to work out every day. Yeah. And sometimes that would be after work, sometimes it would be during lunch, sometimes before work. Okay. But just getting to the gym and getting changed and getting on the floor is 40 minutes, Uh right? But if if you're working remotely, you just got to slip on your, you know, five minutes later you could be working out. So it's certainly a lot easier when you're working remotely. But, you know, going back to the less ideal situation, say you're not working remotely Mm -hmm. and you have to be in an office, Mm -hmm. uh, you just need to be super flexible. Like, Mm -hmm. don't say... I only work out. To, I can only work out in the morning, or right, I can only right, work out yeah. at night. So mm-hmm. if if you're you're never going to work out, if you could say I only can, yeah, it has true. to be I can work out whenever I have the chance. Okay, and uh, mindset, I, 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 my mm-hmm. mindset has been in my entire adult life is, do I see a window open where I can set aside for myself, mm-hmm. like. Oh, um, I'm finished. I you know I see between two and three o'clock. There's mm-hmm. not a lot going on. Mm. Can I run to the gym yeah. for half an hour, yeah. which is better than not nothing at all? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's look, being super flexible, n- not being into a mindset of it has to be one way or I the see. other, uh-huh. or it has Can't to be, be too rigid, right? Or that it has to be two hours or nothing. Like, exactly. You know, you, mm-hmm. if you're training for a marathon yeah. uh, and you have back-to-back things you need to get out mm-hmm. uh, and you miss your your long training run, mm-hmm. then go on a short run. Yeah. Right? It's better than nothing. You'll feel better. Yeah. Um, so it's being super flexible, um, looking for the opportunities. Mm-hmm. And there are actually more hours in the day than you realize. Right. Uh, I think everybody, including me, wastes a certain amount of time. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> and if you could, you know, take some of that time, yeah, and devote it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pays huge dividends. I, I tell you a very quick story, which is, this is probably the late '80s, and mm-hmm. I was interviewing at a very large insurance company in mm-hmm. an in-house legal job. Okay, and it was going really well, and I think I was on my second or third round, mm-hmm. and the general counsel said to me, "I have one more question." What and I said, "What's that?" He's like, "Are you a runner?" And I said, yeah. He says, well, I don't know if this is going to work out. And I said, why?" Well, I, I said, well, the last guy we had was a runner, and he was terrible. I said, okay, he's not me. He says, no, 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 I think it was because of the running. I said, what do you mean? It's like, well, you know, all that... Bouncing and pounding, and all those hours, I think it like depleted him. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's actually the other way around. It's actually like doing all that exercise actually invigorates you and right. it keeps you sharper yeah. mentally, mm-hmm. emotionally, intellectually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's the mindset that it actually does pay dividends. You know, mm-hmm. you're actually going to. I once heard somebody who was started their own business who, you know, was working 18 hours a day and they said that the reason they can get so much done is because they, send, they spend so much time working out, which mm. is kind of like counterintuitive. Right. So I, I could do my stamina and my efficiency is so much higher mm-hmm. because I am well conditioned. Yes. And, and so, you know, I can compete with anybody. So I, right. You know, I get much more done mm-hmm. because I have that. And I, I don't know if that's true to that extreme, but right. it's certainly true to a certain extent.
0: Right. Would you be okay if an associate took time in the middle of the day to, to you know, for like mental health or to work out? And not then? if it
1: screwed up my workout schedule. Not, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you know, again, you have to be you have to be judicious about it. If somebody's waiting on you for something, like right? The, the client needs us by four, and it's like, well, I'm almost done, but I'm gonna go out. To, you know, that, that, <laughs>
2: okay, that, okay.
1: Yeah, that doesn't work, obviously. But right. you know, um, yeah, I mean, I, I often will catch myself in saying. I mean, they're not here. They went to the gym. It's like, wait a minute. You would go to the gym and you wouldn't want anybody to criticize <laughs> you. Here's also so, a yeah, Okay. That's why yeah, I yeah, wanted to
0: know. I'm yeah, like, I, I know there's in the corporate world, again, I used to be in the corporate world, but right. you know, they'd be like, I'm, you know, why are you not online right now? And I right. have to like hop on WebEx and be like, yep, I'm online.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll share a little secret with you. Um, when I left uh, Paul Wise, um, I, where I am now is actually two blocks away from Paul Weiss. And okay. sort of like in the middle is the health club that I belong to. And I would go there, you know, sometimes i go there 11 in the morning, sometimes i go 4 in the afternoon, 7 at night, you know, all kinds of times. I will tell you that almost every single time I went there, there was a partner from Paul Weiss... <laughs> <laughs> Rushing yes. through some kind of workout, getting dressed like dripping. Like I can't say I, hello, but I can't talk to you because I know one like the client. I'm like late for a meet, so right. like people find the time, right? It, you know, and they'll you know it's like I remember going to partners office, like where is he? I don't know where is she? I don't know. It's like um, they come back and they're holding their gym bag. Well, they went to the gym. Right. You know, so it's so, like. So they
0: can't be a hypocrite, right? They can't they can not not let the gym. Yeah, switch.
1: hopefully it's a little less, you know, surreptitious now <laughs> right, where, right, right. you know, I don't want anyone to know, but um, yeah, I, I knew some of these you know, partners that I would see in the locker room and, you know, a lot of them are really, really hardcore. Right oh, you're here at two in the afternoon. It's like, oh my God, I had like a half an hour. So like I got on, the, you know, the machine for 20 minutes and yeah. I'm running back to the It's like, you know, people will find the time and yeah. don't be sh- so shy about mm-hmm.
0: it. But I like that though. In that, in the, you know, you're not making an excuse that, oh, I don't have enough time in the day or I don't have, you know, like like you said, we we all have the same amount of time. Right. And we do have more time than we think. We just probably are you know, at least my I am probably scrolling on, on social media. <laughs> right. That's a huge
1: time suck right there. Yeah.
0: Right. Okay. So you mentioned you trained for some New York City right. marathons. And um, fortunately, I'm assuming you never did the cheat way and went back home on, on the during the marathons.
1: <laughs> never. Right. But
0: I did read that you had no chronic injuries that developed from yeah. any of the training. So 26 marathons, is that right? I think
1: it's 27. Oh, um, my.
0: Good. Oh, my goodness. I, yeah. can, I mean, to yeah, I can't even run, like, a 10K as much as I'd want to. I was always told that my knees are too impacted because of figure skating. I, was right. a, I trained for 15 years, and so all that jumping and landing. Yep,
1: I could see that. Right,
0: yeah. and so I remember even when I was 15 or 16, my trainer was already saying, like, you just can't ever run on, like, this hard pavement, and they were, like, already showing me, like, the knee direction my knee was going, uh-huh. and I was like... Well, that's dangerous. I, I, at one point, I wanted to at least do maybe a half marathon at most, but I realized like I felt it when I was running and running at like f- even at four miles, I was already feeling the pain on my knees. You don't yeah, want pain. I know.
1: Right. right. Discomfort is right. one thing. Pain is not good. But but
0: right. the mental aspect of training is what mm. I m- I miss that you know as an athlete. Right. But I am so curious how how did you train twenty seven marathons? That's, wow.
1: Yeah. Um... You know, it goes – I ran my first marathon in 1988. Oh, Uh, wow. My first son was born in 1991. Okay. uh, And the second one in 1994. So I went through a lot of different stages in life running marathons, including, like, having to get the kids to school every morning because my wife had a full-time job, uh, including, you know, kids not sleeping at night and and having a three-hour, you know, run plan for Sunday morning when you – you know, all of a sudden find yourself awake at 3.30 and wow. knowing that you're supposed to meet somebody for a training run at 7. Yeah. Like, well, all those things happen to me. Right, right. Um, And, uh, you know, it goes back to what I said before. It's about flexibility. Mm-hmm. It's about, like, okay, my schedule has just changed for the worse. Uh, my kids now need to be in school at eight instead of at nine, and that gives me one less hour in the morning. Right. So I guess I'll have to go to sleep an hour earlier and wake up an hour earlier, mm-hmm. or something like that. Something's got to give. Right? Uh, you know, it's like putting all the puzzle pieces on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, part of that's career, part of that's family, part of that is you know other parts of life. And, mm-hmm. and like, how do you make this all fit yeah. so that you have the time um, to do the the workout or whatever it is mm-hmm. that that you're doing? And um, it kind of becomes. I would say you can't dabble in it. You you can't just say, you know, you can, but it's not going to be a long. You, you can't sustain it and dabble in it. Mm-hmm. Meaning that um, it has to be sort of a lifestyle mm-hmm. of where your nutrition and yep. your sleep yep. and everything that is true. And, and your flexibility yeah. and your me- mental state yeah. and everything has to kind of be twenty four seven aligned with getting mm-hmm. to this goal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, I don't have a Biological, medical, or genetic explanation for why I don't have chronic injuries, mm-hmm. but I think that part of it is recognizing that it's more than just going out and running. Like right, that's the last step, and right. there are probably ten steps yeah. to get there, and that includes strength training, yes. flexibility, nutrition, mm-hmm. sleep, uh, all the things that that go into it, and making it uh, part and parcel of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I All the people that I used to run marathons with in the 80s and 90s, -hmm. almost none of them are running at all, let alone marathons. Right. And I think that's because it's either because they did too much too fast uh, and they didn't have this sort of year-round constant uh, checking in of where their body was. But it also goes back to what you said. And I have a a theory that I like to share, which is that if you want to be – a um, sort of athletic for your adult life, like into your 60s yeah. and later. Yeah. Um, if you're an intensely competitive high school athlete, you're probably not going to get there.
2: Oh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you could do other things. It doesn't right, mean right, that right. you're doomed to you know <laughs> just sedentary life. Yeah. Um, but if you want to work, if you want to run, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can only speak to running because right. I, I don't know about other things. But, you know, the people that I know that – were intensely, like, football players, yeah. uh, swimmers. Like yeah. when they were, it, it, It's not so much the physical, it's the mental. Yes. It's partly physical. Like, the, they're, if, if you're 15 and you're working out three hours a day, mm-hmm. I'm not a doctor or an exercise physiologist, but I, I don't think my experience is that that doesn't sit well when you're 30. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, let me address this to people who maybe have young kids, mm-hmm. if they're listening. Yeah. Um, don't be so super concerned about getting your kids into hyper athletic situations as a young age unless they really, really insist on it. Yeah. But don't push them. Mm. And that doesn't mean they're going to be sedentary their whole life. Actually, I think it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. I think that if they view exercise and athletics is fun Mm -hmm. and not as competitive and demanding and impinging on the rest of their lives, Mm -hmm. that when they get older, it's like anything else, they'll have the tools to Mm -hmm. take it up if they want to, Mm -hmm. which is sort of like where I was. I was not, that was not very athletic as a teenager. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then when I kind of got into my late teens, it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm going to try out this running thing. And that seemed like it was kind of okay. And I think the fact that I kind of saved myself a little bit yeah. um, until I was finished growing yeah. I, I think worked well in my case. Again, not scientifically backed, but at least in my case and relative to people that I know, it seemed to be the case.
0: Yeah. Wow. That is interesting to know. And I do agree with the two. I do think running, for example, is more of a long-term, long-distance, you know, it's more of a long-term game right. versus you know, as a... And again, I, I was competitive, but I also loved it as well. So, I mean, that was the benefit of it. But I do, I have seen fellow competitors that didn't love it as much, and that does take away the fun. Right. You know? well, well, what
1: you were doing was actually a skill based <laughs> right. thing, right? You, you actually had to know how to do it, right. and you had to practice intensely yeah. in order to do it. Like, running takes virtually no skill. Right. It, it takes a lot of perseverance. Yeah. But, it, you know, anybody can could if you could walk, you could run. Right. So it's, you're not honing a skill in that way that you need to be that focused on. it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you never run until you're 25 or 30, yeah, um, yeah that's fine because yeah. it's not like you lost time. And yeah. actually I once saw this study where everyone has seven really good years of running, and that applies whether you start running at 20, at 50, or at 70. So if you never ran before, and you start running at 70, and you, you're healthy enough to do that, mm. you're going to have seven years where you're getting better as a runner.
0: Oh, wow. So Yeah.
1: So, um you know, it's not like you can't start at any age. You kind of can. Uh-huh. Uh, but... Obviously, you don't just go out and decide to run a marathon if you've never done that before.
0: That is true. (laughs) Okay, last few questions Mm. I want to ask. What is one piece of advice that you would leave with young professionals in their 20s? One advice that they have to know they should really consider as they're navigating their 20s?
1: I think they should think about their lives in their 40s when they're in their 20s, meaning that... um, you know, not necessarily planning for retirement, That that's way too long of a perspective to mm-hmm. look at things, mm-hmm. but planning for where your career will be in 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Um, and we spoke about all the things that go into, you know, networking, building a solid relationships with people who are inspire you, people mm-hmm. who are in fields that you admire, mm-hmm. um, and also the idea of not just checking boxes in your, yeah. in your work, but, you know, owning it mm-hmm. and uh, operating like it's yours and it's a business and, and looking for those little ambers yeah. embers of uh, opportunity and building mm-hmm. them. Um, I think, you know, those are the things. And also always being positive yeah. in, in your work environment. Mm. And uh, again, easy to find problems, easy to criticize, not so easy to find solutions. And always be viewed as the person who's on the solution side of thing and not yeah. on, on the problem-identifying side of things. Mm,
0: That is good to know. (laughs) I I say that to myself, too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, A book recommendation that was transformative for your life personally and or professionally.
1: Um, There's a book that I read not that long ago called, and it's been around forever, and I think it was a movie called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, um, which is partly autobiographical, um, and it's about... Finding Ways to Connect to Yourself. Okay. Um, And the book was impactful, but it's kind of led me to think that in addition to like hardcore training, that Mm -hmm. you also need to have some kind of spiritual practice, some Mm -hmm. kind of, and by spiritual, I don't necessarily mean religious, but some kind of um, connection to yourself that uh, where you get time to try to understand better who you are.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and and I agree with that, too. And I think that's why I have these questions, because I think these are very in tune with understanding who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, So these are at random. First one, is happiness a choice? Would you say happiness is a choice? I
1: think it largely is. Yeah. Uh, Whether you actually resonates completely is maybe not a choice, but Mm -hmm. you could choose to have a happy attitude.
0: Mm, I like that one. How do you measure success?
1: By balance, to me, that's the best success, where you have everything balanced, like you have family, you have mm-hmm. friendships, you have career, you have yourself, and it's all more or less equally important and equally balanced.
0: Mm. You trade time for money. I think this is a great one for lawyers. Yeah. But what are you really living for? You need money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we all trade time for money, don't we? <laughs> you do. You do.
1: Um.
0: But what would you say, you you trade that time for, of course, income as we all do, but what is the why?
1: I think it's about finding the best version of yourself. So not just for the sake of doing it, but so that you can impact the people around you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can't impact the people around you unless you are in a good place yourself. Mm-hmm. Like if you're empty, you yeah. don't have anything to give. So That's I think yeah, that, I like that you need yeah. to fill yourself so yeah. that you have uh, to give. And it will come naturally. Like yes. Once you feel, and this is a process, you never mm-hmm. like, get to the point and then you're done. But yeah. it, at the times when you feel you're moving in that direction, mm-hmm. I find that for me, it's much easier to give and to support other people. Yeah. Um, but you got to take care of yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. If you could do it all over again, would you still be a lawyer?
1: No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? I think I would, uh, but I think um, I would have listened to some of the advice that I'm giving. Okay. Had I, somebody <laughs> told me these things earlier. I, I did You know, all of these things to a certain extent, but it was never kind of laid out for me in a big picture, like mm-hmm. you, how you need to balance, uh, you need to make Good connections with people. Like mm-hmm. I heard that, but I didn't really understand how it all fit together in a mm-hmm. puzzle. Uh, so I would say yes, but I wish somebody would have mm. told me to look at the big picture.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm doing now. For, there we for, go. for the young ones. Okay. Well, one last question, yeah. and it's something I ask everyone on the show. But what would you say fulfills you in life?
1: Yeah, I'm trying not to repeat. Uh, so, mm-hmm. I, but I think a lot of it goes back again to that to that balance. That, yeah. That, those rare moments where I feel like work is going well and I'm impacting there, Mm -hmm. that I'm involved with my family
2: Mm -hmm. in in
1: a way that's helpful to everybody, Mm -hmm. that uh, my fitness and wellness is being addressed in a Mm -hmm. way that feels good, Mm -hmm. um, that to me is... Like, I wish I could capture those moments because they are, it's always something seems to like be out of balance and Mm -hmm. you have to kind of reassess and rebalance. But Mm -hmm. uh, when you find that balance, it's just incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, And I think, like we talked about, balance is important. And I think in my eyes, we're able to have that balance more when we merge work and life together instead of separating them and looking forward to one over the other, so.
1: I, I agree, and I think to a lot of people, especially younger people, they think that that means working all the time, and it mm-hmm. really it really doesn't mean yeah. working mm-hmm. all the time. It means that it feels less um, jarring when yes. you go from one to the other, because yes. they're all part of the same kind of seamless whole. Right,
0: right, right. I agree. Well, thank you so thank much you. for being on the show. Uh, this was a very exciting conversation, and I'm excited for everyone to hear this. Thank you again. And that was all for today's episode with Saul Finkelstein, legal advisor and partner at a law firm here in New York City. I hope you guys had a takeaway or found some value in this episode because I certainly did. This was a very informative conversation and I can personally say this would have been really helpful for me to hear when I was still in college or just recently graduating because Truth be told, you guys, I don't think these are topics that are talked about enough in college. I think in your junior and senior year of school, it's very kind of you're on your own and people try to help guide you through conventional paths and traditional ways, which is great. However, I think there is something to be said about learning a little bit from people who have had years of experience as well as those who are only a couple years older than you, right? For me, that is exactly what I've done over the past few years is I look to people who are 10, 15, 20 years out and take what they've learned, you know, and what they've done really well in their life and in their career and what they wish they'd done differently, which again, Saul mentioned here on this episode. And I also look to people who are only maybe five, eight years out um, who are in a similar career path as mine. And so I hope you guys were taking notes and we'll save this episode for the future because this one definitely covered a lot of great topics. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to share on your Instagram story and tag the podcast Instagram at What Fulfills You and my personal Instagram at Emily E Duong because I love seeing you guys tune in. You all know it makes my day, and I love chatting with you guys in the DMs. So don't hesitate to share feedback. And before you head out, don't forget about all the podcast merch, especially the best-selling card game, which. I did ask a few questions at the end of the conversation here you can grab the card game at whatfulfillsyou.com or if you are in New York City you can grab it in stores I believe just for a few more weeks at Showfields in NoHo so again whatfulfillsyou.com and of course you can get 10% off because you are a podcast listener with the code you 10 at checkout. Thanks again for tuning in today I will chat with you all in the next episode.